Tom. Peter. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. It's our last episode of the season, and I want to start with just a little bit of a checkup for you because I know how excited you are about AI. Oh, God. Yep. So, drone, drone swarms. You know, drone swarms. Yeah. I love my Apple, my Apple TV. This is an aside. We're going to get to the main story in a second. I love it so much. And I was trying to watch this movie, uh, Eight Million Ways to Die, this old uh, Oliver Stone movie. And it's mm-hmm. a trash film. Uh, that's not the point. <laughs> but I said to the lady, I pushed the little button and I said, find Eight Million Ways to Die. And you know what she did, Tom? What? It sounds like you need somebody to talk to. Here's the National <laughs> Suicide Hotline. <laughs> No, and you were in such bad straits. You didn't want just one. No, I needed you all of eight them. Million? What? Right. Oh my god! I do not envy the person on the other end of that call. Oh god. <laughs> that's that's tough. Because uh, you no. have to tell them not to do it eight million, like for each one. <laughs> Different ways. This is yeah. not a funny bit. It's mostly that that Siri was really looking out for me all right. eight million ways. It's actually Oliver Stone. Oof, rough. No, this is a different thing. A, a way to use AI and talk about disease. Are you ready? Okay. BBC. You know how we love the BBC. They report <laughs> of uh, some folks at the University of Liverpool, UK, who used their fancy AI computer things to mm-hmm. predict not how the coronavirus is going, but what are we going to find with the next pandemic? Oh, what? We're, We're already, already talking, talking about, the, talking next about one? the next Yes, it's become uh, like... Um, it's so trendy. Uh, like Pandemics the next, are so yeah, trendy. It's like, the, oh, where's the iPhone 15? We're getting rumors <laughs> out of China and Vietnam. No. So they threw a whole bunch of data at this fancy computer, and here's what they're looking for. Uh, they say that they're that they are looking at opportunities for viruses to happen through recombination between two existing viruses. So two viruses affect the same cell and combine into a daughter virus that is an entirely new strain. And they're looking at... So what they do is they throw all these animals and all of the viruses known to all of these animals, and they look at which viruses inside of which animals are possible to recreate, right? And so what they found was links between 411 strains of coronavirus and 876 potential mammal species, right? Like chicken, horse, cat, cow, pig, because all of them are these zootropic <laughs> viruses, right? right? You get there in an animal, bats, and they come out it's always and bats. they get into people and then they wreak havoc. So what they uh, what they came up with, so this th- that was the whole point. The predictive step was trying to find species that are able to harbor many of these viruses at the same time. Oof. I know. And they're putting them all in a room together? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like the worst part. <laughs> it's, it's a computer, Tom. A oh, computer. this is all hypothetical. No, okay, got it. But I, I have, I, I have answers, and and this oh. is what I want you to look out for because we we found that first of all, we know that now many more mammals are potential hosts for new coronaviruses than they ever thought. That's bad oh, news. Good. There are a okay. lot of terrible animals who don't even know how bad they are. Uh, but <laughs> the at the very top. The Asian palm civet and mm. the greater horseshoe bat are predicted Ooh. to be host to 32 and 68 different coronaviruses, respectively. And in species, but they including, just don't get sick because they're like just used to it. Yeah, they're just used to okay. it. Now, the uh, common hedgehog and the European <clears throat> rabbit 
and the dromedary camel, the algorithm predicted that that SARS-CoV-2 might recombine with other existing coronavirus. So if you are in a room with a palm civet, a greater horseshoe bat, a hedgehog, European rabbit, or a dromedary camel, back out slowly. Yeah. What's a European rabbit? Is that just like a ra- like a pretentious rabbit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it eats carrots, it has its little pinky out. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And each and every week we drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Off the rails already. Last <laughs> episode. Why, why I said my name like that. And I now you missed the just became like a clown person. Reach out. Go to whatsthatsmell.net. Send us a story of your anxieties. There's a little button right at the top. And if you push it, you can write us. And we get your anxieties now. It's like magic. It's amazing. We, this is our very last episode, though. Of, of this ju- season. Of this season. Yeah. Of this we season. We will be back. We'll be back. We've decided we'll be back again. And so uh, please uh, just hang tight. If you submit something over the break, know that it will be in our uh, season six list of anxieties to celebrate with you. And with that, I'll go first. Tom, uh, how's your twofers? My teeth are yeah. good. Good. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I went in last time and I haven't had a cavity since I moved to California. And I have a dental guard. Oh, I have a night guard, though. Apparently, the one thing that I'm doing is really grinding at night. And so I have oh, one. Yeah. And I, I think I told you this. I chewed through the first one. <laughs> <laughs> like it was made of something that I maybe was just like, I think it was like a fruit roll up. Like that lasted a day. And so now they have one that's made up of like concrete and it's doing great. It was made out of fruit roll up. That's it, I, horrible. Like instantly. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm really no, going bad. to town on it. Yeah, I um, I I have a I just just have a horrible teeth are so sensitive, right? They're just horrible. I mean, I love my teeth. Well, in an earlier episode, like from the first season or something, you said you hadn't gone to the dentist in like seven years. I didn't know it was longer than that. I went a very, very long time and I was terrified about uh, about going back to the dentist. And a lot of that is around the needle stuff. And I now have a dentist that I'm very, very pleased with. But I just had a horrible dental teeth twofer twofer story. Uh, I just I got a kernel stuck. In there, up in there, between in the uh. popcorn kernel. But I thought I'd gotten it out, and I'd been flossing and flossing and flossing. I've been doing all the right stuff. I've been doing the right stuff, dentist. Okay. And <laughs> uh, and it, my gums were getting inflamed, and I could just the slightest. I'd look at them funny. They'd start bleeding, and uh, I mean it was terrible. It was it was awful. And then one day I managed. I got a. I have one of these little perio. Uh, perio aids, you know, about these things to massage my gums. No. Yeah, oh, so yeah. Little, you put a little, uh, a little toothpick in there, and you can reach back into it. And it knocked out uh, this kernel that apparently my flossing was pushing it pushing further it to- up. Ah! Yeah, right. Ugh. That's all fine now. Don't worry about it, though. 
It's okay. all fine. I mean, within six hours, it was resolved. It was fine. Oh. So I, th- it's fine. I'm sorry if my dentist is listening to this, uh, Christine. I'm I'm sorry to tell Christine, you, to, to Doctor Christine. Yeah, it's yep. really rough. Uh, so I I can't believe that after all these many moons, I don't think we've talked directly about odontophobia. We haven't. Is that possible? That's absolutely possible. We're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Didn't we like just I feel like every episode this time we've like, wait, we've yeah. never talked about this. <laughs> well, well, wow. And that's why I would like to introduce to you, sir, a listener submission. Oh, from Dr. Christine. I wonder what my dentist's phobias are. God, if she's scared of herself, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> every day she like catches herself in the mirror. She's like, oh, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Uh, This comes from listener Melissa, who says, I am terrified of going to the dentist. I have no idea what it is that causes the anxiety, but I avoid the dentist like Pete avoids needles and being buried alive. Thanks. Thanks (laughs) for being a dedicated listener, Melissa. (sighs) To my recollection, I can't remember any scarring incidents that would cause my anxiety, but just the thought of calling the office to schedule an appointment puts my stomach in knots, and I really need to go to the dentist, too. I've had a broken Mm. tooth for much too long, but I seem to want to deal with the daily discomfort rather than spend a single hour at El Dentisto. Wow. She didn't say El Dentisto. That was me no. putting a little putting a little spin on it. <laughs> yeah, getting a little English on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, so where where do you stand now on on the dentist? I know that you have you're doing fine. Your teeth are fine. Do you have any of the dental fear that you can relate to? I really like my dentist and my dentist team, but I hate going to the dentist. To the fact that because I only you go like every six months. When they call me and they say, hey, it's around time, you know, you can come. I'm like, it's been two months. I I at one point thought that they had me tripled up (laughs) in things like there was Tom Metz and Tommy Metz and Tamal Metz or something like that. Because I was like, I was just there last week. That's how much of sort of an impact it makes. Yeah. And it's also home to my least, I think maybe my least favorite noise in the entire world, which is that. The the drill. The drill. The drill. Uh, I've never had a drill that I, you know, for years and years and years, but it's always in the other room. And I can, and I'm feeling like I go out to my car and I check my back seat for the drill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I definitely uh, relate to that. For me, it was, uh, you know, getting over the hump uh, to that was, uh, for that was, uh, you know, talking to my dentist about it and saying, look, I have a real problem with the the needle part, especially. And now she does this incredible sleight of hand thing that when I oh. need to be numbed up, she does it in a way that like she's so fast or she's got a perfectly clear needle thing. I just don't see it. And oh. she like scoots it up under my chin and it's in before I can even see it. And it's everything's fine. She's really quite an expert. Oh, wow. The, okay. The the reason odontophobia comes up, though, obviously it, it is incredibly difficult. And not only that, this isn't just a made up thing. Like it's it is not only it, it's a real thing and it's listed in the DSM, right? This is a oh. this is a real and legit thing that so many people experience that they that a lot of research is is done on it. And the problem is that there is a cycle of dental fear, right? Cycle. Okay. A cycle of dental fear. So it starts with the dental fear. You're scared of going to the dentist, right? Seems so, like a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good place to start. Uh, then you delay visiting 
the dentist. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yep. Right. So because, you hold off. Yeah, you put because, it off. Yeah, you put yeah. it off. You're fine. You're fine. But then you break a tooth or you pop a filling or, or your gums you're, or are you're inflamed. flossing a kernel into your you're brain. You're flossing a kernel <laughs> <laughs> right into your optic nerve. Yeah. And uh, that's your dental problem. That's the, the, that, that's the problem. And then you go into symptom-driven treatment. And that's where a lot of people have trouble because symptom-driven treatment is so much more invasive and painful in many, many cases than just going in for your regular cleanings and the occasional cavity, right? What's Sympt- an example of that? A root canal. Symptom, do not, right. is, a, so, is No, a, oh. I'm just saying, like, if you have dental problems, if you have a broken tooth and need a, and need a, a replacement and need an implant, need whatever you need, if you don't care for your teeth, if you delay visiting and getting your teeth cleaned, then they have to go in and actually fix problems that did right. not exist had you gone to the dentist the first right. time. Right, exactly. It's preventative. It is exactly preventative. And so that is, I, I can't. It's it I, you know, it'd been over a decade since I had been to the dentist and I came away without a single filling since then. I've had many. (laughs) I don't know how that is. Uh, The more I care for my teeth, the more I have little tiny fillings. But I still am going regularly now because um, I know that I just I already played that lottery ticket. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm clearly I have work to do. Uh, So. You know, we're looking at at trying to figure out a way to get past that anxiety. And of course, what do you think everybody says? They all say, "Eh, there was a scarring thing in your youth, right? You had a bad dentist Mm. and they hurt you. And now you've associated that with your experience in the chair. But that's interesting because I do have a fear of it. And I try, I would, I, I know now, like, I'm just, I have to run at it. Like, I'm scared. And so as soon as they call, I'm like, yes, I'll go. And I just sort of don't think about it. And then I go and I get it over with. Uh, but it is definitely something I have to run at, meaning like with my quote unquote teeth gritted. But but I never really had a bad experience growing up. My When I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, my doctor, my dentist would, I think, give like laughing gas in the waiting room. <laughs> like he was crazy about not having pain and so i just had like tons of laughing gas all the time for everything i'm starting to think he might he might not have been a dentist so i'm just pointing that out (laughs) (laughs) i'm just pointing out uh that uh yeah i didn't have a scarring thing and yet it's still there yeah yeah uh, it, it is fascinating. And and some of those uh, behaviors are, uh, you might not know what they are. And, uh, you know, you might not know that you're even experiencing them until you're in the middle of them. In fact, uh, I found this great uh, journal article that I've been reading. And I don't know anything about dentistry, but I sure do know the feeling of dental anxiety. Strategies to manage patients with dental anxiety and dental phobia, a literature review. And I've been going through it. And it turns out one of the recommendations is these are the things that as a dentist, you need to train yourself to to see in your patients, right? You need to see both the psychophysiological responses and the behavioral and emotional responses to their experience in your office. Things like when they're in the chair, does it appear that their muscles are tight? Like, is their body tense, right? Are their hands unsteady or shaking? Are they restless? Do they clear their throat a lot? Look at their carotid and temporal arteries as they're in the chair. Do you see pulsation in these arteries? Uh, Listen carefully. Are they screaming? (laughs) (laughs) Do they hold things tight? Visibly fighting you off from the chair. (laughs) 
Well, like I'm a guy, I make fists and, and I dig my fingernails into my, right. into the meat of my hands. Like I'm, I'm that guy when I get my shots and those kinds of things, when yeah. they're doing anything, when the drill sound comes on, I am I like, I wound myself as a Oof. distractive thing. But those things they're looking for, right? Is there a strong startle response? I don't know about this one. Frequent urination. I mean, I guess if they have to keep the getting up, <laughs> that, that, that one well, felt weird to me. Yeah. Uh, are they hyperactive? Are they walking or talking faster? They it appear they're in a in a hurry. Are they uh, irritated with you with delays uh, from sitting in the, oh. the waiting room too long? Are they blushing? Watch them and, and see if they're oh. blushing, right? Um, do, are they talkative or do they avoid people? Like, how, do they, how are they on the social scale? All of these things, dentists should train themselves to watch for um if they in order to in order to mitigate the anxiety response of your patients and in fact there are a lot of questionnaires that, that and scales that they can um th- that they can apply and the this literature review has a ton of them these uh, anxiety questionnaires to to sort of gauge from the patient response like how how do you do with the dentist really how do you feel with the dentist yeah. uh but the bottom line comes down to that the responsibility is on the dentist to set you at ease. If you're anxious about going to the dentist, you need to find a dentist that is ready, willing, and able to cater to your anxieties, right? That's hard to do if your anxiety is not wanting to pick up the phone and call the dentist, but incredibly important. I guess I, I live in Los Angeles. We're lousy with dentists out here. I oh, throw a, lot a rock of and, I'll hit yeah. a, and I'll hit a dentist. <laughs> but I guess like if you're from a smaller town, you might be limited. Yeah. 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 True. So we're talking about like, what are the things that people are nervous about when they go to the dentist, right? I mean, they may just be nervous about the dentist because dentists are like lawyers and doctors and accountants that people are generally right. scared of because it's probably going to be bad news. So that might be the central part of the phobia. It could be the pain. It just things yeah. when you happen to the dentist, it just hurts. Even if you're getting a cleaning, some things get poked around and it kind of hurts. Right. That's like the baseline. If you if And you're, even just having to keep your mouth open yeah. can really hurt because I don't you don't use those muscles very much. Absolutely. And then, you know, leveling up uh, numbness. Some people are incredibly uh, uh, nervous about the the act of getting numb or gagging, having to hold your mouth open that long. The sounds and smells. We talked about the sounds, but things stink at the dentist. When they start drilling tooth, that stinks. I know, right? Uh, And of course, there's the perennial favorite needle phobia. So those are the kind of the major categories that lead to potential complications at the dentist's office. And those are things that cause and increased level of anxiety. Uh, other is the frustration that comes with being spoken to when people's hands are in your mouth, when you're <laughs> like, that is a real social anxiety. Yeah. Right. Because like, what you, how are you supposed to? Yeah. I imagine you're a real showman. I hate it when they, I mean, usually they're pretty good, but my old dentist would always say, I can really sense your gears turning. <laughs> And all I'm thinking That's about totally is I true. wish I was home. I wish I was home. I wish I was home. But oh. yeah, but then, but she would ask questions in the middle of it. And she was so lovely, but I would just be like, yeah. like I don't know. Do they use dental what? dams on you? The dental dam? What's you that? probably haven't had. It. It's a thing where if you're having a filling, they'll like, it's a big rubber plate, right? Or it's a rubber piece of rubber. It's just a big piece of rubber. They cut a hole in it and they put it over your tooth and then put this big like Hellraiser 
device. Oh no! So that I know so what that, you're talking. Yeah. Oh, a dental. De- right. I thought they that was something a, else. Yes, correct. Maybe I'm using the wrong word. Well, that's anyway. also no. It's also a prophylactic. Yeah, we're gonna go. <laughs> it's also a bat. So right. the, uh, the the I hate that the most, and I think my dentist knows they they troll me and they start like once they put the dental dam in and I truly can't speak, they start talking about movies. That's <laughs> great. That's the worst. Uh, anyway, so they start talking about the things that give you anxiety, and that's really important is to figure out what is it, what is the specific element about going to the dentist right. that you hate. Like, you've got to figure that out. They've got to be willing to talk to you about it. Find a dentist that is willing to have that conversation because, in large part, they don't know when, you know, they they probably, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to look at the biophysiological kind of responses that you're seeing. Maybe they're trying mm-hmm. to be kind to that, but if you don't tell them specifically what is in your head, they will not know and they will not be able right. to accommodate it. You have to be able to talk to them about it. Um, and, and and they will. They'll help you. It sounds like it's akin to when we did an episode about going to therapy. Yeah. That don't just you're not stuck with someone and yeah. let them know ahead of time. If you're nervous about therapy, that should be the first thing that you should tell your therapist. If you're nervous about dentistry. Yeah. Yep. There's absolutely. no reason to pretend to be a big, brave boy. No, if you if inside you're dying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Suzanne tells Harvard, I listen to a headset with laugh aloud, funny books or podcasts while I'm in the waiting room, uh, because just sitting in the waiting room causes anxiety. I find if I laugh a lot before I go into the chair, I generally feel better and I'm able to relax. Um, huh. Heather tells Harvard, I bring my iPod and play nice music. Uh, that's so Heather Nancy tells Harvard have the dentist explain everything before doing it make the patient become the assistant this one I thought you would like such as asking the patient to hand me this or that or make sure there's a nice scent in the treatment like hand me this or that I don't think I would have ever gone there with the can you uh, just uh, wrap this wrap this cavity up I'm going to, I just want to see I'm how gonna, you're doing. I yeah, don't know about that. Great. Yeah, no, that yeah. seems a little uh, shaky. Uh, Blaine says, my dentist has televisions situated on the ceiling of the office so that when he leans his patients back, they're able to watch TV. It's a decent That's distraction. Smart. Yeah. Have you, do you ever have any of that uh, experience? Never. No. I've never had any of that. I feel like there are also now these like super like future dentists that are doing like VR headset stuff. You know, they really go to great oh, lengths wow. to distract you. And as I'm searching for all this, I find... Uh, Doctor Helen, if, what if your what if your VR was just of going to the dentist? <laughs> it was like it was just you, but in your own mouth, watching your, what's going on. Right, you're the dentist, yeah. and you're having to do these horrible things to your teeth. Oh my god, what a VR nightmare! Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah. that's it. You know, we can make a billion dollars off yeah. of that game. We need to stop podcasting. We're doing it wrong. <laughs> Sorry. So you had a specific doctor. Dr. Helen on her website, she's in Australia, and her number one thing that she is pitching for her dental practice is, mm-hmm. uh, when you come to my dental office, I'm going to put you to sleep. Oh, and so it we have of some feels, of those out here. I imagine that is yeah. a popular thing. And so I've, have you ever been uh, knocked out at the dentist? Um, No, just with laughing gas. Okay. All right. That's so you're not happy, knocked at out. Least. You're still out. Yeah. You're yeah, still. Exactly. Uh, you're happy. Yeah. No, yeah. I. Um. I've never been locked, knocked out at the dentist, but the fact that they are just it's it's kind of like I don't know. Don't horse veterinarians horse 
dentists do that too, like big animal dentists. You know, it's like you got <laughs> oh, to put oh, yeah, a you lion to, to sleep yeah. to do right. their dental work. That's kind of what it feels like. We're just doing it to each other now, just knocking each other out because <laughs> right. you can't get it. I don't want to be bit by that yeah. big angry Pete sitting <laughs> yeah. in the chair. Yeah, no, it's good. Thank you, Melissa, for uh, for hanging out with uh, with us through this conversation and, and submitting your anxiety. Thank you-, you, Melissa. And of course, know that, yeah, what Pete said, you are absolutely not alone. And the more that, unfortunately, A, you can ex- you know, talk to your dentist yeah. about it, and then B, the more that you really think about it as being preventative instead of, it's kind of like, if you wait to drink water until you're thirsty, it's already too late. Well, it's not too yeah. late. You're just dehydrated. I don't they- know why I'm putting you on a desert, Melissa. <laughs> They do recommend uh, working out uh, hand signals with your doctor or with your dentist. I've never done this either, but it makes me feel like I'm a Navy SEAL, right? Like, make a fist and then two fingers to like show. Yeah. Like, drill, drill, (laughs) drill. Yeah. Just sign language for I hate you. His name is Steve Henson, and while you might not recognize him by name, you have surely crossed paths with his vastly popular contribution to the world. Henson was born in tiny Thayer, Nebraska in 1918. At 16 years old, under the impact of the Depression, he rode the rails to California where he worked at various occupations until, in 1949, he and his wife Gail moved to Alaska. There he enjoyed success as a plumbing contractor in and around Anchorage. After retiring, he and his wife moved to Santa Barbara, where they purchased a farmstead with plans to open it up to guests as a vacation spot, offering fishing, hiking, and home-cooked meals. Guests were particularly fond of an edible invention created by Steve back when he was feeding his hungry work crews in Alaska and trying to keep them happy. It was a condiment made with buttermilk and mayonnaise and was mixed with herbs and spices such as garlic, onion, pepper, and parsley. Mr. Henson would pour it over salads. By the way, the name of the Henson's farmstead? Hidden Valley Ranch. The rest is history as word of his ranch dressing spread and by the 1970s became popular worldwide. Quick side note, one article I read to research this segment included the quote, Ranch dressing's tang is used to liven up foods from corn chips to fried zucchini. And that just felt so oddly specific, I wanted to put that in this thing, because I'm pretty sure that writer was hungry for battered zucchini that day. Anyways, Steve Henson's contribution to the world started small, but had significant effect for his fellow man, enriching the lives and salads of everyone worldwide. Want your chance to make a small contribution that will have a positive effect on your fellow man? Why not go to whatsthatsmell.net and join our ever-growing legion of Panic Pals? Yes, it's the end of the season, but it's not too late to become a Panic Pal. For just a one-payment, non-renewing of $35, you will support the time and expenses for this entire production and the extra episodes that we will be doing in the break before Season 6. That's right. You will have access to all of the live streams we've done this season. Uh, you will have uh, access to members only, like the ones I just mentioned, or like the COVID sessions and other bonus material. You will receive a sticker and a certificate of best friendship signed by both 
Pita and I. And of course, you will be a part of making America just a little bit better. America. Let's say the world. So get our undying love by becoming a panic pal. Go to what's that smell.net. It is not too late to join. And together we will solve anxiety for the world. All right, back to the show. Pita, I think we can both agree that stories about drug experiences are pretty much on par with telling someone about a dream you had. <laughs> Did you think about that? Like, they're generally confusing and they don't translate well to the listener. Are you gonna, it's the ultimate of... You are, had you, to be could, are you setting us up for a drug story for the first time? Well, that being said, I have a drug story to tell you about. <laughs> But uh, you and listeners, please know, I promise it will be brief. It does not glorify drug use. And at the end, there's a real twist. Oh, I love your twists. Okay. Ready? Go. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start this brief but harrowing tale with a question. Pete, did you know that some people get really sick when they mix alcohol and marijuana? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I did know that. And well, I, I didn't. <laughs> Right. This happened many, many, many years ago when I lived in my old apartment building near UCLA. A group of friends and I had taken cabs home from a bar and someone suggested we go back to the back alley to smoke, you know, a jazz cigarette. My experience with pot had been extremely rare and not very enjoyable, but a friend, we'll call him Friend A, who was very well versed with uh, pot, said that they'd tell me how to do it correctly, that I was probably just not doing it right. So we're in the alley and per his suggestion, I'm timing my inhales with my friend who's leading me through it. Oops, here's the catch. As I said, he was very well versed and I wasn't. And what occurred to neither of us is that our tolerances were vastly, vastly different. And I was on his wavelength. Anyways, we're all taking turns. Nothing is happening. And then wham, it all (laughs) hits me like a ton of bricks. And it it tackles the alcohol in my system and they're everywhere and suddenly I'm instantly and incredibly ill. And the same thing happens to another friend. We'll call him friend B, uh, who was also with us. So I'm not going to go into big details. Flash forward, that other friend, friend B and I are now getting terribly sick in my tiny bathroom with me leaning over the tub and him over the toilet. We're both in the same room That's and it's disgusting. going on forever. It's awful. And it's yeah. going on forever and it's awful. And then here's the twist. I might not know what a twist is, but I'm calling this a twist. (laughs) Because I'm the worst and I can't leave things alone, in all of my agony, I had a thought. What would make this worse? What would make this situation worse? And this is what my stupid, weed-addled brain came up with. What if I was in hell? (laughs) What if something had happened on the way back from the bar and I didn't know it, but I died and gone to hell? And this is what hell was like. This tiny, gross room filled with nausea and agony forever. And I wouldn't know because, hell, you have no idea. And I'm never leaving this room. And that dumb idea made me incredibly uncomfortable, understandably. And so I turned to tell my friend, my toilet buddy, about it to get it out of my head and to calm myself down. And he's gone. (laughs) I'm alone in the room. At some point, apparently he felt better and didn't say goodbye. He just left, which makes sense. So now I'm alone in hell's bathroom for eternity, and my anxiety is shooting through the roof. I'm paranoid. I'm in hell. And it is one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. Thanks, Pot. Fun, right, Pete? <laughs> oh, you got a friend in me. Do-do-do-do. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wonder if uh, hell, by that definition, is wildly overstated. I'm thinking that it is not like a bunch of brimstone and there's like yeah. different things. I think it's just a one bedroom <laughs> apartment, <laughs> apartment in Los but Angeles. Then, yeah. But like lines of them. Yeah. 
That's exactly right. Yeah, lines of throw up boxes. Where Um, tell me tell me why why we're leaning in on your hellish pot experience today? Because I would like to talk about cannabophobia. (gasps) The fear of marijuana. Yes. Really? Yes. And I have it. Cannabis cannabis relating to cannabis, which of course is another word for marijuana, and Phobos, the Greek god of yikes. Real quick, I want to give another disclaimer like I did at the beginning. I'm not going to, at the end of this segment, be talking about how to get over the weed spookies, uh, because it's not legal in all states, and I don't want to glorify or encourage that kind of thing for younger listeners. Uh, If our adult listeners are so inclined, there is a vast amount of information on the internet about the positive uses of marijuana and CBD to aid in anxiety and other ailments. For this segment, I'd just like to talk about my and maybe your anxiety about the thing for itself okay now, pete i'm not going to ask you to divulge if you've ever tried marijuana if you don't want to uh to divulge it i said i wrote if you don't want to devolve it is that a word devolve it well yeah. you could you can devolve but i don't you think can that's what we're shooting for <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> if you want to regress uh but i do want to ask if you've ever had an, any anxiety about trying it uh i would say i have uh, well, yes, and also have experiences in my youth that would lead me to uh, be substance anxious. How oh, about interesting! That? How about that? That's very good. I you never told to... you. I never told you about the picotti sauce, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did you freebase picotti sauce? That might be a that might be an after show. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, that sounds terrifying. It involves so many sequential anxieties that uh yeah no it's hor it was a horrible experience that has scarred me for life and it ends in picante sauce <laughs> as all so, wonderful experiences yeah, do so i would say like I-, I would say largely i i think i think i don't have a great deal of anxiety because i don't use it and i am no right. longer cu- curious about it i know what sure. the experience is and i'm <laughs> just don't right. i don't have the need for it i it doesn't i, I it doesn't yeah so i i'm uh, i feel like that was a chapter and i you're am blissfully with free it. of this yeah, sure yeah i think yeah. so but but to say that i have never been concerned about that as i think many people probably are were in those you know in their youth right like there are certainly reasons to be anxious yeah, I, I think, and I was trying to examine what mine is, and I think for me, it just mainly comes down to control. Yeah. Take away the the fact that it used to not be legal. Now it's legal here, yeah. and I think it's in Colorado, I think it's mandatory. We'll get to that in a second, but <laughs> for me, it's about con- to control, because if I have like a little bit too much to drink, yeah. for instance, I can drink water and eat something to counteract the effects. I don't think there's anything you can do for pot. You just got to ride it out, yeah, and that right. idea so. is really scary. Anything involving the words trip. It's yeah. like, nope, is a hard yeah. pass. Um, also, unlike alcohol, I have no idea how it'll hit me, when it'll hit me, what my limit is like. And it's it's done in alleys. <laughs> Nothing good <laughs> happens in alleys. <laughs> to be um, fair, to anybody who is a regular user, it doesn't always happen in alleys. And if you're only no. doing it in an alley, try you're something else. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have vapes now. Try, right. I don't know, living room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not in alley just try that yeah um i was it also occurred to me i think there's another reason why i might be weed spooked uh and i wanted to tell you can i tell you another story that has nothing to do with use at all uh, yeah absolutely okay um because in Cal- Cal- california and i think 10 other states it's legal now and mer- medical marijuana is legal in 34 other states right 
that's how it started in California is uh, the law shifted and all of a sudden you just needed to see a doctor to get a medical marijuana pass mm-hmm. and uh, to legally visit a dispensary. Um, and I wanted to try it not to get high, but because I was suffering from very bad anxiety. And mm-hmm. this is before I was put on medication. This is before therapy. This was a really long time ago. Um, and California, I don't know what it was like in other places, but it got really interesting because when that law came into effect, all of a sudden there were just doctors all over the place who seemed to just have practices based in giving out these passes like literal doctor feel goods um anyway so i thought i was of age and i wanted to give it a shot i wanted some recommendation i wanted to go to a dispensary and be like hey i don't know what i'm doing i just need it to calm down or to help sleep how does this work so i made an appointment with a doctor who was advertising passes for like 30 bucks listen to how incredibly legit all this was want to guess where his highly esteemed practice was the venice boardwalk That's right. I don't remember his name. I'm going to call him, let's call him like Dr. Weedhead. Dr. Weedhead's office was sandwiched between a sunglass hut and a stand to- selling t-shirts saying, and I'll never forget this either. Do you want to know what the t-shirts were saying? Knock, knock. Who's there? Boobs. Full stop. No boobs who, no pun. That's not even basic joke structure. So anyways, it's also awful. So this guy's practice and practice should from now on be in quotes. Yeah. Consisted of a long hallway lined with chairs filled with a dozen people looking to get this card. And understandably, they're all dressed in t-shirts and flip-flops because they know that the fix is in. <laughs> they know this isn't like a traditional doctor thing. Me, Pete, because I'm under the impression... A, because I'm me, and B, I'm such a square. I thought this was an actual, real doctor-patient situation. I'm wearing pants, a tucked-in button-down shirt. I'm surprised I didn't bring my ascot for this whole thing. Uh, Anyway, so I show up, and I check in with the nurse by the office door. Want to guess what the nurse was wearing, Pete? Was it the boobs shirt? No, actually, she was wearing nothing, because the nurse was just a clipboard sitting on a stool. So I just signed my name at the bottom of this very long list of people. I mean, this is a medical marijuana card factory. He is getting people in and out, in and out. Um, So uh, finally, Dr. Smoke-Em-Up calls me in. He looked, I remember, like Greg Kinnear. And the other thing I remember, he was wearing a leather jacket, but then had a stethoscope kind of (laughs) hanging around his neck. (laughs) Like the laziest doctor costume I'd ever seen. (laughs) And he starts asking me what I'm suffering from. And I'm nervous as heck uh, because, you know, even though I'm not lying and I want it for good reasons, something about this just seems dodgy. I needn't have worried about anything. He asked what I was suffering from, and I said, well, sometimes I have a little trouble getting to sleep. And he immediately says, oh, so chronic insomnia? (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't interrupt you before the word asleep. I know. know. (laughs) Sometimes I have trouble getting chronic anything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he should have just (laughs) held up like a doll and say, show me on the doll where you want. Show me where you you want to get high. (laughs) Yeah. So he says chronic insomnia, uh, and I and I'm still not getting it. So I go, no, I wouldn't say that. It's more like it takes me a while because my head is swirling. And he says, oh, so chronic insomnia match with constant headaches? <laughs> like he's really just clicking off things. And I finally get it, and I go, sure. <laughs> and I said, I also get anxious. And he said, oh, so crippling anxiety that makes it impossible to function. And I said, yeah, sure that. Like I realized this is all ridiculous. Did you at what point did you take off your shirt and put your flip flops on, like in the office? I imagine you're just giving up. (laughs) Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> I really should have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like eating a sandwich or something, like <laughs> snacks. There's one last thing I remember. At one point, I asked him, just sort of making conversation, because he actually did have like a lot of paperwork he needed to do. I just sure. didn't need to be there. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him how many of these cards he does a day. Just making conversation. That was the wrong question to ask. He puts his folder down and just stares at me suspiciously. Because he thinks you're a narc. He asked if I was from the DEA. And I said, (gasps) what? And he said, you have to tell me if you're in the DEA. If I ask and you're in the DEA, you have to tell me. Which, number one, I absolutely didn't. And number two, I'm not with the DEA. (laughs) So great. So this guy giving me access to a drug that can cause paranoia is getting paranoid in front of me. (laughs) Anyways, that's pretty much the story. He gave it to me. I got the card. But because marijuana made me so nervous, I ended up really only using it once and I never went back. I did at one point want to when my anxiety like a year and a half later got uh, significantly worse. I was going to give it another try. So I tried to call his office to get it re-upped. Let Um, me guess. It was He's not there. <laughs> no, he apparently had gotten busted on something and had moved his practice to Hawaii. <laughs> so oh he was, see, he was long gone. <laughs> I just feel like there's a sign that says "moved behind the Ferris wheel." Like, just like, <laughs> yeah, he's just on Muscle Beach. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you can understand why from the get-go, the whole thing was dodgy and weird, and I I think that that probably contributes to some of my anxiety about the whole thing. Oh my goodness, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't it really doesn't help that uh you know, we've we spent and you and I in particular grew up during the age of demonization of marijuana, right? Right. And I I I don't I've grown up not sharing that view. I do not believe that it is a it is a substance that should be demonized broadly. I think right. It, I, I think responsible use can be both therapeutic and enjoyable. And I, I for those people who do use it, more power to you. Right. Um, but I I can absolutely relate to that feeling of I've spent decades. Having people in authority telling me that people who do this thing are terrible people, dirty people, criminals, and you don't want to be one of those people, so don't do this thing. And then even just like such bald-faced lies of like, well, the one thing, it really leads to violent aggression. What? No, (laughs) it leads to snacking. It's like settled science. Yeah, it leads to flaming hot Cheetos. That's the most agitated thing. (laughs) It leads to gastrointestinal disaster, but not to anybody else. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's my walk with it. Uh, So I want to let everyone know if anyone else is worried about it. (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Live your life. I'm not going to be doing it because it doesn't work out for me. Uh, But I do. As soon as this pandemic is over, I got a plane ticket to Hawaii. (laughs) (laughs) Which is weird because I don't even need the card anymore. I just want to see how he's doing. Just trying to check in on Dr. Puffin stuff. Yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Belong to You by Denisha. 
I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. As we said in the beginning, uh, this is the end of Season 5. Thank you all for hanging out with us. A very special thanks to our Season 5 Panic Pals. It is much more fun uh, to invest our time and energy to this show. Thanks to you. So to our Panic Pals, very special hats off thanks. And I hope to see some pictures of some framed certificates of best friendship oh, uh, hanging that's right. maybe above mantles or in offices. They're coming in the mail. <laughs> I think that maybe a certificate of best friendship should go right next to your uh, your degree from your medical school or uh, some other college. You yep. know, something to really class up the joint. Yep. That's what I'm thinking. Your, med- so, your medical dispensary card. That's exa- absolutely right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So thank you all for doing this, uh, for being with us, for riding along this season. Uh, we are, we have decided, yes, we are going to come back. We've got a couple of uh, uh, members only, season five members only episodes that are coming in the next um, uh, month or two while we re-gear for season six. So keep those anxieties coming. Thank you all very much for hanging out with us. Until next season. This has been what? That smell? 